Hey, if you got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 91. As we finished up Romans 8 last week, and Paul enumerated an extended list of different kinds of sufferings that he and many other believers in his day uh, had already faced. All the way into our day, and until Jesus returns all over the world, similar kinds of trials, persecutions, and challenges are and will be happening. Each of these attacks are an attempt to break us away from our faith in God, trying to make it look like or to make us think or feel like God's love has failed us. Well, we know God's love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on us. We also know Jesus clearly said, in this world, you will have trouble. But the sentence didn't end there. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And if we've already surrendered the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, his overcoming spirit is now alive in us. So along with Paul, we can affirm our confidence in God's love for us. And we can declare with Paul, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, though many things will give it their very best shot. Regardless of what comes our way, good times or tough, hard or even bad times, we have a safe place in Christ that is meant to be our dwelling place in the midst of processing all that comes with our everyday life events. As we walk out and work out the plan and the hope and the future God has for each of our lives, there'll be a mixture of ups and downs and arounds. I've even had a few go around agains. Seems like God's trying to teach you something. And if you don't want to learn that lesson, uh, it's like he'll say, okay, well, go around again. I'll be here the next time. The, the lesson that's in front of you is the next lesson to learn. You don't get to skip it. You, don't, you can try to skip it, but it's going to still be waiting there until you go through it. So there's ups, downs, arounds, and sometimes, okay, go around again, but then you go through that part. And that is all pro- what's the process of leading us to weos level spiritual maturity. In his book, Prophecy and Responsibility, Graham Cook wrote, being a weos son or daughter means that there is a consistency present in our lives because we've learned to wait on God and tend to his agenda. You know, in the kingdom, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And so there's this waiting on God that is so essential. But like we've talked about, and I've talked about, uh, the waiting isn't just sitting back in your uh, lazy boy recliner. The waiting is actually serving Lord, being actively involved in, in serving him and working with him and moving him. It's both sides of that. And the scriptures say that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who lovingly wait on him. We us level consistency because we've learned to wait on the Lord and to tend to his agenda. Not my will, but yours be done. That, That surrender to be in what he's asking us to do, not trying to set the agenda and go for it ourselves. God lifts up we are sons and daughters to new levels of thinking and being, and then he gives them a taste of what is to come. 
by allowing them to see things from a different level. On what may be our last fallback time change weekend, I want to look at some essential perspectives, prayers, and reminders in Psalm 91. So many ways, times, they are changing. I mean, literally, it changed this morning. I got up early this morning, and I thought, wow, time's standing still. It didn't even move. There's hour, hour and backwards. Yet in the midst of all of that, Psalm 91 remains a foundation for more than conqueror living. It challenges us to let our confidence in God shape our worldview and inform our hopes through every season of life, and especially if and when times get tough. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Where we dwell makes a difference. Where we dwell makes a difference. The dictionary defines dwell as to live or continue in a given condition or state. But dwell also means where we live or stay as a permanent resident. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This dwell isn't about short-term rentals or stopovers or touristy visiting spots. This dwell is about a long-term constant. This dwell is about where we call home. In Hebrew, this dwell means where we sit down, where we remain, where we settle. This word is translated a variety of different ways throughout the Old Testament, but most commonly, this word shows up as inhabitants, inhabitants. So this kind of dwells in the shelter of the Most High is the result of deliberate choices. There's nothing passive about it, and it doesn't happen by accident. And to every person who dwells in the shelter of the Most High as an inhabitant, God gives the opportunity to occupy that space, to seize it, to take hold of it, and to hold possession of it to such an extent that we find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That word for shadow comes from the word hovering over. And that made me think of Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17, it says that God will quiet us in his love for us, and he'll quiet us in his delight in us, and he will rejoice over us in song. It's a beautiful picture there in, in uh, Zephaniah 3. It starts with, don't let your hands hang limp. You know, this morning we had opportunity after opportunity to have our hands lifted in praise to the Lord. But there's also this picture of the Lord coming to us and him hovering over us. And as he hovers over us, his delight in us is something real to be experienced. If, if you have a picture of an angry God that doesn't want to be around you, you've got the wrong God. That's not our God. And, and as he hovers over us, he wants us to know and to experience the depth of the riches of his love. And one of the ways he does both those things is he sings over us. Now, now I'm a psalmist, so songs make up a lot of my world. But this happens not just to psalmists only. You'll wake up in the middle of the night or you go, you, we sang all these songs this morning and later today you're singing it again. Or you wake up in the night and you're singing it again. Or you hear a song on the radio and K-Love or one of the other stage, and it's like that song stays with you. Or just random, some song you hadn't thought about in forever comes to you. I want to I wanna encourage you, don't just think, well, that was weird. Own that song. That's a song of deliverance that the Lord is singing over you as he's hovering over you. There's been many seasons in my life but the Lord literally downloaded songs to me, some of them that I've written and some other ones that were just other people's songs, but that sang me through seasons. 
that when my emotions and things would go up and down, this song would come up inside of me and it would call me back in my place and it would keep me rooted in home, in inhabiting in the secret place, the, the shelter of the Most High. Why, why would we want to be anywhere else? The King James Version says, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Amplified says, they shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. Now, when we don't dwell in God's presence as an inhabitant, when we just come in and out, we might check in on a Saturday or Sunday, but then we go live our own world the rest of the time and we check back in the next week. That's better than not checking in at all, but pretty typically, once you do start treating it that way, then before you know it, you're not here at all anymore and you're just disconnected. What happens, we start yo-yoing up and down in our relationship in and out of relationship with God. Now, Jesus promised he would never leave us or forsake us, so, so God's presence is always with us. However, when we're not making the shelter of the most high our dwelling place, we're coming in and out of it, our minds, our will, our emotions, they get in a state of flux. And, and our awareness of where we are, whose we are, where God is, it just starts getting confusing. But as we choose to dwell in, abide, remain stable and fixed in Christ, that unique place of rest awakens a cry in our hearts. Verse two, and I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In the passion, this I will save the Lord is, he's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me. The only God for me and my great confidence. I read that over again. That's so good. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me. The only God for me and my great confidence. All that's so good, but I especially love, he's the hope that holds me. Because it takes hope out of the wishful thinking ethereal realm and it makes hope personal and experiential, which is exactly how God wants it to be. Too many times we start getting squeezed by life and we find ourselves striving to hold on to God when in fact rest is found in just being held by him in recognizing that he is holding us and he's never gonna let us go. And beyond that, we're being held in a sheltering stronghold. That's a picturesque word in Hebrew. It can be a castle, a tower, a strong place. He is my refuge and my fortress. Now that word for refuge is interesting. That word refuge means where we flee for protection. He is the place I go when I need protection. And so in the Amplified, this heart cry calls us to align our words and our actions, not just to make that confession, but to do it. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God. And on him, I lean and rely. And in him, I confidently trust. Verse three, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You'll not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague 
that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Do you ever talk to yourself? I think we all do. Um, most of us, uh, those thoughts are never verbalized. I mean, you just think, think, think them in your head. And then others of us, like me, talk out loud to myself all the time. In fact, I talk out loud to myself so much I even answer. I can have whole conversations just with myself, back and forth like that. Um, I'm a verbal processor person, and sometimes even when I'm stuck, if I'm just trying to think, 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 I stay stuck. But once I start talking about it, once I start processing out loud, I can actually talk myself in revelation sometime and find my way there. But I got to get it out of me. I got to get the, the words out of me. And I found that even if you're a, not a verbal processor, sometimes in one of those moments like that, a very helpful exercise can be even just to write down the things that you're thinking. There's something about releasing what's inside of us, getting in a different place, either speaking it or seeing it or releasing it that opens some things up. Well, I think what we have here in Psalm 91 it's some very high-level self-talk that was flowing through the psalmist as a direct download from God. He said, I'll say the Lord. He's my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it just opened up and God began to speak to him. And from his inhabitant spot in God, this heart cry confession was birthed. And what came next is this declaration of what God will do and how we can respond. The Amplified introduces all of these verses I just read to you, verses three to eight, as thens, then this, then this, then this, then this. Because we have made the Lord our dwelling place, because we are leaning and relying on him and confidently trusting in him, then a whole series of promised truths can shape our present tense reality to revolve around the salvation and the protection of God, regardless of how things look or feel in a given moment. He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. In the King James Amplified New American Standard, it says, he'll deliver you. In the New Living Translation, the Passion, it says, he will rescue you. This word for save, deliver, rescue, in the Hebrew, it means to snatch away. To snatch you away. From what? From hunters. From the enemy. And from all the hidden traps and the poisoned arrows, which the Passion connects to false accusations and curses. We live in a fallen world that's overflowing with a variety of traps and accusations and curses. And while it's too stressful to live on guard against all of these all the time, it's also unwise to live unaware or in denial of them. But there's another option. We can hunker down as a sheltered inhabitant in what the King James calls the secret place of the Most High. That word secret's cool. Covert, disguised, covered, hiding place for protection, literally or figuratively. God has a place like that for every one of us, a place we can step into, and his protection is there. Cindy and I were watching a Graham Cook's series on the fruit of the Spirit this week, and and he was telling a story about a, a kind of a vision that he had had where he's being chased by the enemy and he was running with all he could to get away from the enemy and the enemy was making ground on him and then he saw like a, just a hanging shower curtain in the middle of nowhere out and, and the Holy Spirit said, get behind that. And so he did because that's what the Holy Spirit said, but the enemy's just coming on him and he's thinking, what is gonna happen? They're gonna overtake me. And they just went right around him as if they couldn't even see him. And listen, I wanna tell you that 
There's hiding places like that that God has for us when we choose to be in him. When we align ourselves with him, when we align ourselves with his ways, you step out of his ways, you step into doing things your own way, or you start doing compromise, and you can get out of that hidden place. But as we live in God's ways in alignment with him, there is this hidden safe space that's a secret, covert, disguised hiding place, literally and figuratively, where God protects us and shelters us. As we faithfully do that, God keeps us safe in, through, and on the other side of the storms that come when attacks come, when dangers come, and even when wave after wave of fear comes against us. We're living in a time where just, just fear is constantly thrown in our face. And praise the Lord, we just got past Halloween. But there's still all these crazy horror movies. There's a Thanksgiving horror movie coming out. I mean, seriously? Come on. And it's like, I mean, there's too much scary stuff in the real world for me to go to any of those movies. I mean, some people get their thrill there, but I would recommend you not spend your time in places like that. There's, that's not neutral territory. You might just think you're getting a thrill. No, there's more going on there. And I'd recommend you stay out of that place. But wave after wave of fear, you, you can't watch TV without all these commercials for all these different shots and things they want to give you. And, and you might need this shot. and You might need this shot. and You might need this shot. Now, pay attention to the, well, all the pretty scene is happening. All the things they're saying in the background about what the side effects are that go with all of that. Pay attention to that. Don't, don't miss that. But, but the point of the commercial is just wave after wave after wave of fear trying to make us afraid. But there is a sheltered place where we can live and we don't have to surrender to those fears and those fears can go right by us. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. Now, that does not mean that God has wings like an angel. Instead, it's a poetic reference to the Ark of the Covenant, which is also called the mercy seat. The design of that piece of furniture had two cherubim on each end or corner with open extended wings. And it was at the mercy seat where God told Moses, I will meet with you there. Years later, in Solomon's temple, the ark was placed behind a veil. Only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, only the high priest went behind the veil. But when Jesus died on the cross, and when Jesus declared, it is finished, that veil, which restricted access to the most holy place, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And that veil wasn't some little thin thing, it was like six inches thick. And it was huge. I mean, this was a huge deal. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. And in that way, God dramatically demonstrated that we all now have equal open access to the mercy seat of God. He's just. There is a judgment seat of God. But when we've given our lives to him, where we go and meet with him is at the mercy seat. Wrap your head around that truth because there's never, ever a reason to be afraid of coming into God's presence. We're coming to meet him at the mercy seat. The Amplified says, under his wing shall you trust and find refuge. And that word for trust describes an active trust, not just a mental assent or a verbalized good confession. This word for trust is used in Psalm 4, 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Now, in Psalm 5, that sacrifices of righteousness in the Old Covenant, those were literal sacrifices, animal sacrifices taking place. Now, we live in the New Covenant. Jesus has paid the price for that. But the point of that is live in obedience to God in his ways. 
Offer sacrifices. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Do that in right standing with God and put your trust, your active trust in the Lord. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name will trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's an important part of active trust too. It's not just taken for granted. It's a willingness to seek the Lord, not just calling his name or using his name, but it's a willingness to seek after him, to seek after. I know what you've shown me to do, but I'm gonna keep seeking after you. And it's an active, ongoing relationship with God. God always responds to this kind of active trust. And he protects us with his truth and faithfulness. And it says here, as with a shield and rampart. And interestingly, this Hebrew word for shield means a big one. But the word for rampart is the smaller shield that's worn on your arm. So no matter what kind of warfare we encounter, God's promise is he will cover us. And that's another cool word. That word for cover, the first definition means to entwine as a screen. In other words, God wraps his life around our lives and creates a screen, a shelter around us. It can also mean to fence in with hedges. It can mean to cover over. It also means to protect. And the picture there is front, back, side, top, bottom. God has us covered. New Living Translation says his faithful promises are your armor and protection. And they are effective against spiritual warfare associated with the terror of the night as well as the arrow that flies by the day. You know, sometimes in the midst of spiritual warfare, really what we just need to do instead of going out and fighting that thing is we just need to duck behind God's shield. Let him fight for us. Every time the enemy rattles his sword doesn't mean it's time to fight. The only one time it's to fight is when God says fight. And the only good fights are the fights we win. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because in our zeal, we rush out to take on something. God says, I got that for you. Just stay here behind the shield. But then there are other times where it's ours to fight and he sends us out and we can take up the rampart. We can take up the shield of faith Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6. And as we move forward, we move in step with the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, when that's the phase of the battle that you're in, you've got that shield up and when... Flaming arrows come, it's not like you're unaware of it. You feel it. When you've got a shield up and something hits that shield, you feel that hit. But you're still okay because what it promises, the shield of faith, extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Talking to somebody this week about the armor of God. And, um, and they were talking about a routine they have to just put on the armor every day and start the day that way. I've kind of got to the place where I don't take it off. Because there's some stuff that happens when I'm sleeping at night that I need the armor on for, you know, and just different things like that. And so I don't think you have to take it on and off, but do what the Lord shows you to do. The other thing that I've learned about the warfare and the armor and the shield, it depends on where you're positioned in the battle. If you're in a season of the fight where you're kind of back away from the front lines, you put your shield down, it's no big deal. But when God's got you on the front line, when you're doing something that's on the front line, you put your shield down, you don't get popped. You know, so know where you are in the battle and use the shield accordingly. In regards to the pestilence, the plague, the thousands falling around us, the Amplified translates God's promise to us like this. Only a spectator shall you be, yourself inaccessible in the secret place of the Most High. There is a place in Christ where we can live and move above the troubles of the world. Not disconnected, 
and not uninterested because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. God has us here as intercessors, but also not entangled, engrossed, and consumed by the headlines of the day, globally, nationally, or personally. As we keep leaning on and relying on God, as we keep cultivating our active trust in him, we can avoid walking out of our inhabitant place as a shelter in the Most High. Instead, from that safe place of fellowship and perspective, we get to see things with God and we can engage with Him in various dimensions of spiritual aggression and warfare. Another thing that hit me as I was reading this psalm and this, you'll only observe it with your eyes. I, I think he, the psalmist might have had a quick glimpse of the day when Jesus returns as a victorious warrior king, uh, ushering in a new heaven and a new earth. The revelation the psalmist received was on that day, you will only observe with your eyes the consequences and punishments of a just God upon morally wrong, ungodly, hardened, and wicked people. Listen, heaven and hell are real places. Jesus told a parable about the sheep and the goats. You want to be on the sheep side. There's two different endings that come to this thing. And we want to be on the sheep side. And we do that by surrendering our life to Christ. By giving our life to him. By allowing him to be the Lord in our life. And it makes all the difference. Because there's coming a day where those of us who have done that will observe the consequences and punishments of a just God upon morally wrong, ungodly, hardened, and wicked people. After a quick peek of all that, I think the psalmist was drawn right back into the moment and his self-talk shifted into a self-coaching moment. Look at verse nine. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near your tent. If you make the most high your dwelling. Again, he's speaking to himself. He's reminding himself about this. He's reinforcing the importance of our freedom and choice. In choosing to position ourselves in the most high as our dwelling. And then that ignites another if-then sequence. Then no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near your tent. The King James says no evil. The Amplified says no evil, plague, or calamity will come near your tent. Now to understand this best, we need to have the right tent in mind though. This does not mean we won't face troubles in this life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. But then it goes on to say, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Jesus himself said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and bring you to that place. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, while we are in this tent, we groan, and are burdened until what is mortal is swallowed up by immortal life. Listen, there is much more to life than the one we're living now. Every breath here is precious. Every moment here is precious. But we're not just living for this life. There's a life to come that we're living. And the choices that we make now matter into eternity. Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And you'll tread upon the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. 
For he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In the Bible, there are stories that we can read about guardian angels and warring angels and messenger angels. And the Amplified describes their role as to accompany and defend and preserve us. But then the Amplified adds an important qualifier. In all our ways of obedience and service. And I just want to say again, disobedience opens the door to a variety of consequences. Choose obedience. Many years ago, Frank Peretti wrote This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. And both of those books are full of insights about the role of angels. But even more significant is the the difference it makes when we pray and when we don't pray. The way he describes a lot of those things in that fiction story is, is when we pray, the angels are doing all their stuff. And when we don't, they're ready, but they're waiting. There's something that's connected to us praying and the release of God and all of that. And I just want to encourage, let's just be faithful in prayer. Keep asking. Ask for help. You know, immediately after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, the, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. And in that moment, the devil came to tempt Jesus. It started with, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus replied, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then after taking Jesus up to the highest point in the temple, the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And then the devil quoted Psalm 91, 11 and 12 to Jesus. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I think it's interesting that he stopped at verse 12 and didn't read 13. You'll tread upon the lion and the serpent. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing. You think the devil speaking to the word made flesh with scripture and using, trying to use scripture against him. Yeah, well, anyway, we know how that worked. Jesus knew verse 13, it activated his resistance and he said, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And after one more temptation, Jesus dismissed the devil, sent him away, declaring, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And you know what happened next? The angels came and attended Jesus. I just wanna say, even Jesus needed and received the help of angels when he was here. And if Jesus needed that, we need that. Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Because he loves me, in both the King James and the Amplified, it says, because he has set his love upon me. In Hebrew, this phrase means because he's chosen to cling to me. Uh, because he has chosen to be joined to me, because he has chosen to give his love to me, because he's chosen to delight in me. And listen, God loves for us to love him in all of those ways. The psalmist had made his heart cry of trust in the Lord, and he'd reminded himself of the benefits of making the most highest dwelling. And those choices flowed out of his love for God, and God responded. What we do and what we say matters to God. We've been created with the ability not just to be touched and blessed by God, but also with the ability to touch his heart and to bless him. And when we do, 
God sends more rescue, more protection, more deliverance, more satisfaction, more revelation, even honor. And that word for honor is the Greek word kabod. It's the weight of the glory of God. Man, there are some moments where just in the presence of the Lord, it's like you feel it. I mean, it's just something settles on you. It's a a weight. Uh, The first time you experience it, it kind of freaks you out. What is that? But then once you start recognizing, what, oh, that's his presence. Sometimes when his presence comes, all of a sudden you're just crying for no reason. You don't even know why you're crying. But it's like he's something, his glory, the weight of his glory settles on us. And that's his promise here in verse 15. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we won't ever outgrow our need for God's rescue. In Hebrew, this particular word for I will rescue describes God's unique ability to make a way where there seems to be no way. In the King James and the Amplified, it used the word deliver, but it's an interesting word that it used there for deliverance. This particular kind of deliverance involves like an escape hatch that leads to freedom. But this kind of deliverance also involves our cooperation to go through that escape hatch to get free. What I'm gonna tell you right now is if you've given your life to Christ, you may feel trapped in some circumstance or situation. And I'm telling you, there's a way out. There's a way out. The door's already open, but you've got to walk out of that place. For instance, the children of Israel, when they finally got out of Egypt, found themselves with the army coming at them and the Red Sea at their back. There's only one way to get out of that, and God opened up the sea. But they could have stood there and just looked at that and thought, mm, that doesn't look safe. I don't know if I'm going through there or not. And it would have changed the whole rest of the story. But they went through, but they went through. I was thinking about Jesus the first time he showed up in Nazareth to speak after, uh, after he had begun his ministry and, and he picked up the scroll and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And he shared that in his hometown and they were not excited about that sermon. In fact, they were offended at what he said and they hustled him out of town and their plan was to throw him off a cliff and stone him right there. But somehow the scriptures just say, but Jesus walked back through them. He stepped into the secret place and walked right back through them. I was also thinking about um, when Peter had been put in jail by Herod and he was all chained up and everything. And he wakes up and the angel says, stand up and walk out of there. And that's exactly what happened. Now he could have woke up and said, well, I, I, I can't leave. I, no, I'm, I, I, no, but he obeyed. This deliverance, the the Lord provides ways out. But our cooperation in taking the way is also important in getting free. Another level of protection is connected to acknowledging the Lord's name. The Amplified says, because he knows and understands my name and has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness. You know, within every name of God is a promise, not just to claim, but also to experience. Every name of God is an invitation to experientially know God like that, to know God as your provider, to know God as your healer, to know him as your comforter, your teacher, your father, your friend, so many names of God. And in the midst of God's I will rescue and I will protect, he also calls us and exhorts us, call upon him with a promise. You call on me, I will answer. That Hebrew word for call, it's not passive, it's aggressive. It's calling out by name to provoke an encounter. It's okay to talk to God like that. 
You know how I know? I've read the book of Psalms lots and lots and lots of times. Just about any conversation you can have with God takes place in the book of Psalms. And they all made the book. They all made the book. Sometimes you think, I don't know if I can say that to God or not. He's already heard it. A bunch of different languages, a bunch of different times. You're not telling me anything new. Talk to God. Call out to him in such a way as to provoke him. Now, this isn't the stressed out, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. It's not like that. It's specific, direct, and focused. We can use his names. Father, I need you. Jesus said, you're a friend that sticks closer than the brother. I need a friend right now. Lord, show yourself to me like that. But sometimes in the overwhelmingness of things that's going on, although there's lots and lots of names, we can't remember them. So I'm gonna tell you a really good prayer that works a lot of times, and that's just help, help. He knows that one, and that one works, and he responds and answers that one too. The Hebrew word here for answer is rich. It means I see you. I pay attention to what you're saying. I will heed your voice. I will respond. And by extension, I'll begin to speak specifically, to sing, to shout, to testify, to announce over you. These are all answers we're created to recognize as the voice of God communicating with us. This foundational psalm is full of hope and encouragement, as well as a good dose of realism. Even when we love God, even when we set our love upon him, even when we call out to him, even when he answers, we're gonna still need more rescue, more protection, and more deliverance from the pressures and troubles in this life. Psalm 91 is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's also not a skate-through-life problem-free card. It said Psalm 91 is full of truths we need to regularly remind ourselves because through it all and in it all, God promises to provide what we need to find and feel his presence. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the game-changer. That's the game changer. In his presence, Psalm 16 says, is the fullness of joy. That's a settled confidence that he's got this, that he's working in his presence. His presence brings heaven to earth. His presence always lights and leads the way ahead. And as if that were not more than enough, God pushed a little further with two more promises. Look at verse 16. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. How long is long? The Hebrew word long life is best understood as length of days. And in Psalm 90, Moses wrote, the length of days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. But let the record show Moses lived to 120. And actually the last 40 years of his life, once he got past 80, is really the most significant things that happened in his life. Psalm 139 tells us, that all the days ordained for us were written in God's book before one of them came to be. Through them all, God promises to progressively reveal the fullness of his salvation to us and at work in us. In a variety of ways, we can literally see and experience in this life. And the fuller truth is, the with long life I will satisfy him God has in mind for us all is eternal life. Eternal life in heaven with him. His plan is for us to never stop experiencing the salvation of God. In every season of life, we have the opportunity to be with God, dwelling in his presence, tucked in close at rest in his shadow, and reveling in his presence, dwelling within us. In the opening of his first letter, Peter wrote, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The journey's real. The process is real. And until our final day here, we can live each day as inhabitants in our dwelling place with a growing experiential faith shielded by God's power at work in us, around us, and through us. That is God's will for each of us without any exceptions. That's also God's open invitation to all of us without any exceptions. But we get to choose. And where we choose to make our dwelling place directly affects how we experience whatever happens next. Let's stand together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you, I thank you that pretty much right, almost right dead middle of our Bible, Psalm 91. And I thank you, Lord, for preserving this encounter with you. This confession, this coaching, and this response from you. These, these foundational words that we can hold on to and live and experience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the power that is in your word. I thank you, Lord, you've created a shelter, a secret place for us to dwell. Lord, I pray even right now that any wandering tendencies in us, just, just break them. We, we, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for wandering off to the left or the right instead of staying with you. Lord, if there's things that we've given ourselves into that um, are disobedience, that we know, we have no right being part of that. Even this morning, Lord, just the grace to renounce and break that and step out through the escape hatch and back into the freedom of living in the sheltered, safe, secret place of the Most High as an inhabitant. Lord, forgive us for checking in and out of thinking, well, we're with God, not with God. No, you're with us all the time and we're with you all the time. Greater and greater, Lord, let that revelation settle in us as we go through our days. At every part of our days, you are with us, for us. And you've got a plan and a hope and a future for us. Thank you, Lord. You're a good, good God. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, for the way you're revealing your salvation to us day after day. We say, more, Lord, more, more, Lord. And your answer is, yes, my joy to do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me just tell you thank you this morning. Just tell the Lord thank you again this morning. Thank you, Lord.